Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, before we jump into today's episode, we're going to track in uh, with the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox, uh, like we always do, uh, to check out any uh, uh, feedback from our listeners, uh, to, to give you any new um, news or any... Uh, remember, uh, you can always hit me up at primarycarepod at gmail.com if you uh, want to sponsor the podcast. Saudi princes out there, I know you want to. Um, this uh, this email actually comes from a former student of mine, uh who writes, Dr. List, I have a joke for your podcast that I think you will like. All right, hit me up with it. Uh, question, what is, during the pandemic, the most expensive video streaming service of all time? Answer, medical school. Ouch, ooh, ouch. Pay them tuition checks. Yeah, uh, I, I think with that, I think with that, we should start the podcast. Thanks for the email. Uh, good luck with your future endeavors. And let's start it. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's your favorite podcasting host, Dr. Mark List, back at you uh, with another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. On today's episode, uh, we have something to follow up with what we did several months ago. We had hit on a topic that I encourage you to go back and listen to called the Intermittent Fasting Masterclass. And it talked about all the research behind intermittent fasting, some of the techniques, some of the things that you can instruct your patients on, as it's kind of a newer type of dietary plan that has some good science behind it. Well, we had a recent article, I'm going to pull it up right here, uh, called The Effects of Time-Restricted Eating, aka intermittent fasting, on weight loss and other metabolic parameters in women and men with overweight and obesity, the TREAT randomized clinical trial out of San Francisco. And this was in JAMA Internal Medicine uh, just this last month. Uh, Again, uh, this looks like it was September 28th, 2020. So uh, what this study was is it took 140 people were initially uh, randomized and they were recruited and they said, okay, uh, here's the plan. You guys, we want you to... We're going to split you into two groups. Uh, one group, you're going to have controlled uh, CMT. Uh, the CMT group was the uh, consistent meal timing group, which means they wanted you to eat three meals a day and you can have snacks. Okay, so they want you to eat three square meals a day plus snacks. And the other group, they said, you can only eat between 12 and 8, but we don't care what you eat at that time. Okay, there was, and, and then completely fast from 8 p.m. to noon the next day, right? So that's a 16-8 intermittent fasting ratio like we talked about in our previous podcast. And 16-8 has been kind of the uh, the most common, the most, the most recommended. Um, but this gets into, uh, I said a couple of things on that intermittent fasting masterclass, and that is never worship at the altar of any specific diet or diet plan or recommendation. Because everyone's bodies are different, everyone has things that they can follow, uh, things that work better for them, and so never be a zealot, never be somebody who says, this is the only thing, this is the only thing I recommend, everything else is garbage. Uh, Be flexible and work with people on multiple different options to find out what's right for them. Whether that's full keto, whether that's intermittent fasting, whether that's uh, vegetarian or um, 
whether that's uh, low carb, whether that's dash diet, whether it's Mediterranean diet, whether that's, you know, X, Y, or Z, whatever seems to work for them, whether it's just cutting down on specific foods or, or working on developing a better, uh, less snacking, less caloric intake plan, you know, be, be flexible with your patients. And this study shows that our intermittent fasting compared to this consistent meal timing did not statistically significantly uh, have a difference between the two groups of weight loss. But this gets back to dietary science being an oxymoron, okay? Because dietary science isn't really a science. And even in this randomized control trial, this is really well done. This is in JAMA. This is, this is about as good of a clinical trial as you get in terms of dietary science. And this, there's no fault to the authors Some things that they could have done differently or at least measured differently. But this, this is a complete crapshoot. And to put it in perspective, if this was a randomized medical trial from like a medication standpoint, there would be glaring red flags that we'd say, well, well, how did this even get published? And yet at the same time, this is a really good study in terms of what you normally get with dietary science. So let's dig into it more. I want to first bring up the fact that they recruited 140 people, okay? Only 116 people actually got to the end. And, and of those, many of those did not even accomplish the daily task, which is eat at these times, okay? I, I want to put in perspective when you have overweight and obese patients, how hard it is to lose weight. And in this study, they're paying these people a gift card to even enroll in the study and log their weights and whether or not they, you know, let them know, did they, did, could they follow the meal plan? And there are, you know, 10% of people on a daily basis who can't even follow the eat three meals a day and snack if you want to. Okay, I want you to wrap your head around that in this study. So even in these, they couldn't even get 20, what, 24 people to even follow through with this very simple study, right? There were 20 people that didn't even log weights, okay? And <laughs> that wouldn't even, like, wouldn't even, like, measure themselves. They got a Bluetooth scale, and they uploaded it to this app and everything for them. And there were 24% of people, one out of seven people in the study, didn't even finish this study, okay? Didn't even start the study, didn't, didn't log a single weight, basically, and that's really disappointing, but that gets to the whole point about why weight loss is so hard because, you know, food and our behavior is so ingrained, it's so intertwined, it's so, it's everything about who we are and what we do that should we be surprised that, you know, one out of seven people can't even follow through with a clinical trial that just even has them just eat at different times, not even adjusting what they eat or, or even counting what they eat or even tracking what they eat, just step on a scale once a day. So, when we let's go through the study piece by piece because again it's really remarkable how hard dietary science is and so when we talk about the scientific recommendations to our patients about diet about weight loss yes there are things that we can concretely say do help and you know help differently for different people and work better for some people work less for some people but it's so hard to get people to change their behavior when it comes to food and dietary science so Again, let's look at the data here. So, you know, about 70 people were in the eat three meals a day and snack however you want to. 70 people a day were in the don't eat between 8 p.m. and noon and kind of intermittent fast. And they followed them for 12 weeks. Okay. 
And there were some people that were lost to follow up and didn't follow through. And then there were a few people that lived close to San Francisco. So they brought them in and did some other testing in terms of, uh, you know, muscle measurement, BM, uh, body, uh, body fat uh, percentages, resting metabolic rates, et cetera. They brought them in and they tested pre, pre-study and post-study to see if there was any big changes. Okay. And so when we talk about the weight loss that happened, yes, there was weight loss. And at 12 weeks, the intermittent fasting group as a whole lost on average about two pounds. Okay. Um, actually about on, on average about a kilo. Okay. And again, non-significantly was differenced uh, compared to the, con- the consistent meal timing. Okay. Those people lost on average about a pound and a half over 12 weeks. And even there, you should have some red flags raised that these are people who are overweight, they're obese. Okay. And you want them to follow through with either this, 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 you know, trial meal, meal plan or an, a, basically what they considered a control meal plan. But even on the control meal plan, there was statistically significant weight loss from baseline. So was the fact that these people were in a control, did that change the way that they ate? Were they trying to eat healthier or better because they were enrolled in a weight loss trial, even though they were the control arm? They were told to eat three meals a day and snack as needed, but they lost a statistically significant amount of weight, two and a half pounds, basically, or two pounds, um, or sorry, a pound and a half in that group. Now that's not much, but that's still something in a group that normally can't lose weight over 12 weeks. And when we look at, and we look at the data, there's uh, in figure A on this study, figure two, section A, they followed, they, they asked all these people, okay, weigh yourself every day. And then they answered a question. They had they asked a question. Did you adhere to your eating plan on the previous day? Yes or no? Okay. And even in the consistent meal timing group, only about ninety percent of people on a daily basis actually followed through with that adherence to their plan. Okay, wrap your head around that, please. Wrap your head around that. Only one out of ten, one out of ten out of those people couldn't even eat three meals three meals a day. Okay. So when we talk about having it be a control arm, it's really hard to say that this is a great control arm, right? Because what does that mean? Well, we don't know what that means. It just says that they couldn't follow the meal plan. So does, does that mean they had to skip a meal? Does that mean that they didn't get three meals a day? Does that mean that they didn't snack throughout the day? You know, what does that mean? Um, and with the intermittent fasting group or the time-restricted con- time, uh, time eating group, only about 80% on average could actually follow through. So even, even you know, one out of seven people, they got dropped out of the study because they, they didn't log a weight. You know, there was... You know, one out of ten people in the control arm, and two out of ten people in the in the intermittent fasting group couldn't follow through. So, on average, thirty percent of the participants in the groups, both groups combined, you know, are, are in total. I guess that's not how it works. It's fifteen percent on average. Sorry, that's bad math. But fifteen percent of the the people on average couldn't even follow through with the recommended meal plan. So, but they're included in the analysis. And I want you to wrap your head around how the fact that this is a really good randomized control trial. And yet this is the lack of adherence that we get, even when people are enrolled in a clinical trial. Again, it's so hard to staunchly defend dietary recommendations, to staunchly defend these dietary statements when the science behind it is so bad, okay? If we go to the uh, label C in that figure two, in the controlled consistent meal timing, okay, in in the control group, in the consistent meal timing group, there are people that lost like eight pounds 
just eating three meals a day and snacking as needed, what is supposed to be a normal meal plan. How does that happen in 12 weeks? In a, in a, I mean, that, that is mind boggling, right? And so it begs the question, right? With dietary stuff, a lot of times, you know, we even have people, if they track their caloric intake, they eat less food. If they write down what food they eat, they eat less food. Why? Because the act of doing anything makes you aware of what you are doing. So was it by even enrolling people in a dietary study and being the control arm, which is just eat three meals a day like normal and snack as normal, that more than half the people in the control group lost weight in the study. And on average, again, they lost about a pound and a half, uh, which is why it wasn't statistically significant at the time restricted eating group. Okay. Again, is, is this a, this a fault with dietary science again, that, you know, we, we are maybe overestimating the, the impact of diets on weight loss in these studies because we're having people do something in a clinical study and maybe that makes them change their behavior. I want to get in the time, the, the time restricted eating, the intermittent fasting group, because there was really not very impressive weight loss over 12 weeks with this 16 to 8 ratio. And again, I've had people, I have had people had great results with time restricted eating. I've had people had no results with time restricted eating. Um, I, I really have. Uh, I've, I've talked to friends who had almost no, no benefit from time restricted eating. And again, is this an issue? Is this an issue where it is genetic dependent? Is this an issue where it is, is, is it, again, body type specific? Is, is there something metabolically that some people respond better than others? Um, I guess one fact uh, here I, I didn't mention, these the people in the study on average were about 46 years old. They were a little bit more male than female, um, and they were more overweight than obese. Um, the average weight was about 210 pounds, uh, about 94, 95-ish kilos. Uh, but the range really was anywhere from like 180 pounds all the way up to you know, uh, what appears to be about 230 pounds. So these aren't like morbidly, morbidly, morbidly obese people, although some people had a significant BMI ranging all the way up to the low 30, low 40s. So again, it's it's hard to make heads or tails on this. It's very clear that the intermittent fasting or the time-restricted eating group did not perform as well as we'd expect, and the authors even said that based on previous research. This did not follow through having this control arm. There was weight loss, there was a significant weight reduction of about more than a percentage of weight reduction, total body weight reduction, but it wasn't statistically significant than just having people record a weight every day and be enrolled in the study in this controlled, in this, you know, consistent meal timing, the, the, the control arm. Digging into some of the more details, it actually looked like the step counts in both groups decreased, but really re reduced significantly in the time-restricted eating group. The resting metabolic rate went down in the time-restricted eating group. There was a decrease in lean mass, appendicular lean mass, in the time-restricted eating group. So there was some negative. So were people less active because they weren't eating in the morning? Did they alter their daily routine? Were they exercising less, so therefore their caloric balance was changed. Again, they didn't even monitor how much calories they were eating, so were people eating more calories in that intermittent fasting period? Again, part of the part of the benefit is it's not supposed to matter, but were, did, they, did they compensate by increasing their caloric intake? We don't know. They, they didn't write anything down. Interestingly, too, normally it's a complete fast or a water fast from 8 to noon, but they were only limiting their participants to a, quote, non-caloric beverage fast. So you could have had a zero calorie energy drink or coffee, you know, uh, with, you know, a zero calorie sweetener or a zero calorie 
soft drink, which clearly we know has metabolic impacts and is not, you know, quote unquote, zero calories in terms of what it does to the body's metabolism. So again, multiple layers of complexity about why in this case, intermittent fasting didn't perform like it did in previous studies, but ultimately a little bit disappointing. But ultimately the bigger take home point is dietary science is hard and dietary science is garbage. And this is a randomized control trial. A, a pretty well set up randomized control trial and a fairly large randomized control trial, to be honest, for dietary science. And it has a control arm. And yet there were so many faults with this study. It just goes to show you how insanely difficult and what an oxymoron dietary science really is and how it really, it, it, you know, you know, it's not a real science. It's not at all. You know, it's just a complete crapshoot. And I think this proves it. So um, when you when you counsel to your patients, again, I think intermittent fasting, based on a lot of the research, and especially with diabetics or pre-diabetics, about the benefits, uh, especially about A1C numbers and about glucose intolerance numbers and weight loss in previous studies, I think it has merit. It, it deserves to be part of the discussion. But clearly here, talking with your patients and having them at least do something might produce enough of a impact on them that they do stuff and they do lose some weight. But also I think it's important then to counsel that it's not your fault if intermittent fasting doesn't work for you. We know for some people it doesn't work. Um, and so that it's an option. Everyone needs to try it out or needs to be, you know, find a diet plan or find a lifestyle that works for them. Again, not a diet plan because this is not a temporary thing. There are no crash diets, but a lifestyle change. That's something away from the sad, something away from the standard American diet that gets you to a healthier lifestyle. So uh, I know we went uh, uh, a little bit over today uh, talking about intermittent fasting again. Um, again, I am not going to preach that this is the best and the only dietary plan. I think it's worked really well for some of my patients. Again, I've had patients who it didn't work for. Uh, I've had colleagues that it didn't work for. I've had colleagues who it worked great for. I think that, again, it's another, it's another pillar of the fact that you can't trust dietary science. Don't become a zealot, a zealot for some kind of weird kook uh, diet plan, supplement plan, um, because it doesn't work for everybody. It's not, some people can't follow through with it. There's huge drop over or drop out. There's huge turnover in terms of what these people can do because behavioral change is hard, especially when it comes to food. And as we saw in this study, changing a person's diet, then change their activity level. It changed a lot of stuff about them that has other implications more so than just the food they put in their body or when they put the food in their body. Um, again, it would have been nice if they could have tracked the caloric intake, see if they had a uh, you know, a, a, a correlative increase in, in caloric intake in the intermittent fasting group. And that explained the offset in the caloric difference. Again, there was weight loss, only a percent. Normally you see about three to 5% in these studies that are well done. Um, so again, a little bit disappointing, but overall, I think it's disappointing the fact that intermittent fasting is not a miracle cure, which we all knew it wasn't, which we all discussed it wasn't, but just to, again, to be more realistic with patients about what to expect from their dietary plans. Uh, again, uh, you don't need to stay up to date. Uh, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, this has been Dr. Markless for the Primary Care Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And have a great week. God bless.